Hi, this is Cassandra Lee Morris, and you're listening to the Annie Monday Podcast. Please enjoy your weekly dose of random anime. Okay. <laughs> Immediate. And welcome <laughs> to the Annie Monday podcast. Can you do the whole podcast like that? I cannot. <laughs> That's a shame. It's October now. <laughs> oh, wait. Are we doing this for real? I'm doing this. <laughs> okay. Well. <laughs> Whoops. My name is Colin Hempill. And I'm Kayla Hempill. And we're finally back. <laughs> Hello. Last month was quite a wash, yeah. but uh, here we are, and we're ready for some more anime podcasting. Yeah, definitely. On our show, we roll the virtual dice each week and must watch a randomly selected anime title. Last time, we hit the random button on Crunchyroll, and our genetic makeup forced us to watch DNA Squared. DNA Squared began as a five-volume manga series from 1993 to 1994, then proceeded to a 12-episode anime adaptation in late 1994, followed by a few OVA episodes in 1995. Of these 12 episodes, we watched the first four. Kayla, would you like to share the plot with us? Overpopulation has become such a problem in the future that it is a criminal act punishable by death to have more than one child. This catastrophe can be traced back to a family carrying the powerful Mega Playboy gene. A DNA operator named Karen must go back in time to alter the DNA of the original Mega Playboy, a high school kid named Junta. Exciting times uh, from last time when we got to watch a very enjoyable, cute anime about cells in your body. And then uh, while we were with Josh, we got to read the synopsis of this show, <laughs> which is pretty out there, even for an anime. Yeah. I guess jumping off of that synopsis, let's talk a little bit about our main character, Junta. As you might expect, this is a high school kid, and he is pretty average, which is a kind of character we see all the time. And the only unique thing really about this character is that he has a quote-unquote allergic reaction when he is around girls. Specifically when he's aroused by girls. Right. Because he can be around them just fine. Usually. Mm -hmm. uh, now, the strange thing about this quote-unquote allergy to me is that it manifests by him vomiting. I was actually trying to look up if there is something like this that exists. Because there are definitely types of allergens that that is a response to, like throwing up. I cannot find one specifically that is this. Um, though there are different types of, like, dysfunctions that can happen with sexual arousal, um, none that seem to have this specific response. Yeah, which is probably a good thing. <laughs> uh, it's gross in the show. <laughs> like, they, they make it pink. Typically in, in Japanese productions and anime, anything gross is, like, pixelated out. In this case, they just make it, like, rainbow vomit. Mm -hmm. uh, but still, unpleasant. So part of the premise of this show is that 
Junta gets his DNA altered so that his allergy goes away. And it seems strange to me that by altering his DNA so that he's not having this allergic reaction as frequently, that he's suddenly irresistible to the opposite sex. Well, I I do kind of wonder how they're trying to set it up uh, because I kind of thought of it as the other direction, whereas the gene alteration makes him this kind of crazy uh, womanizer person. And as a result, he's able to overcome his reaction to being around girls. I see. Either way, I don't think it's supposed to make sense. (laughs) That's true. That's true. Uh, One of our other main characters for the show, her name is Ami. And she is Junta's childhood friend. And she is, as far as we've seen, the only girl that he can spend a lot of time around and be really close with who he doesn't have a reaction to. And this is a pretty common trope that I think we see a lot in not just anime but in media in general is um, the childhood friend or the girl next door is supposed to be more plain and you know one of the guys and it really falls into this kind of trope of she's one of the guys so she's not really seen as being feminine and so he chases after girls who are more feminine while she harbors feelings for him and that's the entirety of her character Yeah, I think they even make mention at some point that he kind of sees her as a sister figure. So even if she does express femininity, he's not having the same reaction because he's not physically interested in her. Yeah. One other kind of minor character that plays a role in these first few episodes is Tomoko. And she kind of fits the role of the most beautiful girl at school, the the super popular person that everyone wants to be around. And her role in these episodes is more or less to toy with Junta for a little while to get back at her ex-boyfriend. And she actually can't stand him in reality, but she especially can't stand him after, after she comes on to him and then he barfs on her. Mm-hmm. And until that switch happens when his DNA is altered, that's about the only role she plays. Then there's just this totally weird flip that when his DNA is altered, she's suddenly in love with him and blows off her on-again, off-again boyfriend, who he describes himself as a mega playboy now that I think about that, which is strange. But the real meat of this show comes in when Karen arrives And she comes from the future, and she's kind of decked out in some weird space garb that gives her like a helmet and sort of a protective suit. And her job in the future, as you mentioned, is is called a DNA operator. And her goal is that she came from the future to find and stop the Mega Playboy, a man who was so promiscuous that the future is massively overpopulated and... Uh, Like you had said, they invoke a death penalty because there are so many children born all the time. I really like Karen as a character. Not only do I think her design is really interesting, uh, she kind of reminds me of one of my favorite characters from Yu Yu Hakusho, which is a show that was happening kind of around the same time, uh, which is Botan. Um, They even kind of look the same. They have this light blue kind of hair. 
And their interactions with the main character are pretty similar. They have this sort of playful, I'm doing what's best for you, pushing my like hopes and dreams on you and not really engaging any of the nonsense that they're <laughs> partaking in. Yeah, she does have a, a funny sort of motivation for what she's doing, which is that she's a government worker and kind of just overworked and underpaid in the future, which good to know that's still a thing. <laughs> and all she really wants is like a nice house and some pets and a husband and just to live kind of that normal life. And so she thinks this is the way that she's going to achieve that is by coming back into the past on this mission and completing this task so she can go back to a normal world where there aren't billions of people being born every day. Yeah. I think the very nature of Karen adds a lot of weirdness to this show. A lot of inconsistencies happen through her because there's time travel involved. And she ends up creating the Mega Playboy instead of stopping him. And so it's kind of unclear what the rules of time travel are in this world because she tends to set the rules and then immediately break them. Yeah, it's, it's always great when a kind of quick draw anime like this where there wasn't a whole lot of thought into the overarching story tries to throw time travel into the mix. And I wouldn't say it's necessarily handled well here, uh, but it's also not super important to any of it. You just kind of know that they're trying to fix this thing that happened in the future and don't think too hard about the rules. Also known as the uh, MCU strategy. <laughs> I think that's something that kind of works for this show, though, is that it doesn't want you to take it too seriously because at the core of the show, it is a comedy. So it's it's okay that it doesn't really work. And I think sometimes it's sort of played up for comedic effect. It's not trying to make this world make sense. Yeah, I, I agree. That's generally how this show tries to do things. And uh, it works sometimes. It does seem weird that from probably episode two or three on, the main role that Karen has is to keep Junta from having sex. Like that's that's almost her whole purpose is to try and pair him up with Ami and then keep him away from any other girl that might be interested in him, which I think is a criminal underuse of this character. Right. She's generally played this sort of sideline character uh, in these first episodes, even though every, like, title card has her on it and the cover art for the show has her on it. The intro and the outro really focus heavily on her. Right. Even the, the show is even listed as a sci-fi just because this character comes from the future and sometimes, like, talks to her coordinators <laughs> back in the future. Yeah. But otherwise, like... She's generally really unimportant for the actual things that are happening episode to episode. Mm -hmm. So I guess to uh, unpack the story parts a little bit more, when Karen does come back into the past and she meets Junta for the first time, her obvious response is, are you sure this guy, like the one <laughs> who throws up when he touches a girl? Mm -hmm. I think that's one kind of clever aspect of this show is that 
her sort of dismissive attitude about Junta and his interaction with women is kind of what ultimately leads to her just pulling out a gun in the middle of a restaurant and shooting him with what turns out to be the wrong bullet and actually triggers this whole thing, which is a great scene, by the way, because she's loading this gun for several minutes Mm -hmm. in a restaurant and he's just standing there. (laughs) Talking to her. Talking. Mm Mm-hmm. And as a result of her making this mistake, and then for some reason being stuck in the past and not being able to reverse whatever happened or go get a different, the right bullet, who who knows, uh, Junta turns into this person who basically has a superpower, which is that whenever this activates, he turns into the suave kind of ladies' man his voice changes, his hair and like his shoulders get bigger and he immediately starts spouting like cheesy lines <laughs> and everyone immediately falls for it. Mm-hmm. Except for one person, which is Ami. Mm-hmm. And like you said, that's kind of what Karen uses to say, well, since it doesn't work for her, if I can get these two together, then maybe this whole thing won't spiral completely out of control. It's interesting to me that that easy solution of saying, like, why can't she just go into the future and then come back and change the bullet? This seems to be because she just doesn't want her superiors to know that she messed up. And that's how the whole rest of the show happens is because she's trying to cover her tracks and pretend like she didn't just doom the future. Right. As if the superiors don't already know because, hey, it still sucks here. (laughs) Yeah. But again, those time travel rules are never really enforced or discussed. No. Uh, I do want to talk briefly about the sexual pyramid scheme. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Okay. (laughs) So what they do take time to explain in great detail is not the time travel mechanics, but how the Mega Playboy actually works. Because it's not just like he's a cool dude and lots of ladies fall for him. It has very specific rules that pass down generation to generation. (laughs) The Mega Playboy, the original, which is presumably Junta, will have 100 children and they are all boys. From 100 women. Yes. And each of those boys also carries the Mega Playboy gene And each of them will also have 100 male children. Mm -hmm. Each. Each. Uh, Turning this into the sexual pyramid scheme. Because if you run those numbers, it's 10,000 people by the second generation, 1 million by the third, and by the fifth generation, 10 billion people. Uh, Which is making me wonder, is this why the show is called DNA Squared? Oh my goodness. Probably. Because somebody actually had to think about these numbers, right? (laughs) You would think, hopefully, somebody thought about how this works. Mm -hmm. Uh, Do they ever talk about, like, how far in the future this is? Not that I can tell. Because maybe we're just on the cusp of Mm -hmm. this huge global catastrophe. They've only mentioned that the Mega Playboy had 100 children and those children had 100 children. So they haven't mentioned further than that, but... But I I call this the pyramid scheme because this doesn't work. (laughs) Not only is there the obvious concern of, like, the planet cannot hold this many people, but also you immediately run out of women to have children. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, and so this entire premise is completely busted. I mean, there's time travel, so who knows what is possible <laughs> in the future? I, I guess. I don't know. And I think they even mentioned that it's like interdimensional time travel. So if we're talking about like, you know. Multi-planetary mm-hmm. uh, impregnation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So who even knows? Mm-hmm. Well, that's all I have to say about story and characters. So let's call it for this section and we'll talk about production and stuff in a little bit. We'll be right back after this short break. Colin, do you want to kick off our conversation about the production of the show? One thing that's probably worth noting about our discussion for the production aspects of this show is that we did watch the English dub. Yes. And we had pretty specific reasons for selecting the English dub when we saw that both were available on Crunchyroll. And that is that uh, Junta is played by one Liam (laughs) O'Brien, who we know pretty well from a lot of anime dubs, and directing roles. Uh, But most notably, we know him from Critical Role Mm -hmm. and that entire franchise. (laughs) And so we wanted to see how a 90s Liam O'Brien would handle playing a character that is this wild. (laughs) He was easily the best voice actor on this show because he essentially plays two characters. He plays regular kind of dorky Junta and then the mega playboy Junta. And he's able to have these two similar sounding voices, but have enough differences that you can really like see the contrast between the two. So regular Junta's voice is a little bit higher and a little more nasally. And then when the DNA activates in him and he becomes the mega playboy, you know, his his voice gets lower and it's it's just kind of smooth and, and loses that nasally kind of like teenage aspect to it. But it still sounds like it could be the same person. And I was surprised by how how nuanced that could be. Yeah, I mean, the suave version of this character sounds pretty close to just the Liam O'Brien voice, but way over-exaggerated on the, like, sexiness. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the kind of dorky teenager version, I don't think I would have recognized, at least for a little while. Uh, But all in all, this is a very 90s anime dub. Yes. And it was kind of before the golden age when, you know, things like Cowboy Bebop were on their way. Mm -hmm. And it was accepted that English dubs could be really good. (laughs) And so there there are bright spots and there are not so bright spots. Yes. Tamako especially is hard to listen to. The acting is just kind of flat at times and then like soap opera over dramatic at other times, but not not when they're supposed to be. They're kind of flipped. It's like flat when 
she's trying to be dramatic and she's dramatic when she's trying to be flat. It's it's kind of strange. It's almost as if they hired a bunch of talent for these prominent roles that were, you know, people like Liam O'Brien who went on to be just extremely top-notch kind of voice actors. Mm-hmm. These are people who were well-trained in theater and had been doing acting stuff for a long time, and they knew really well how to adapt anime. Mm -hmm. And then they got Tomoko, who was just (laughs) what you would have been familiar with at this time, Mm -hmm. which is people who don't necessarily know how to voice act. Mm -hmm. And uh, maybe they've had some acting experience, but this is not what they were trained in or what they understand how to do and so it's like they ran out of budget to (laughs) hire a a really top-notch voice actor for this character and then realized that this character is in a whole lot of scenes (laughs) and so it sounds very out of place with the rest of them yeah and we've we've talked before about how this is why voice actors can be so challenging is because if you get just an actor to do voice acting, they're used to using their face and their bodies to express things that their voice doesn't have to. And voice actors know how to communicate things that are going to be shown, but they don't actually see it. You know, they they only can use their voice. Yeah. And most other kinds of acting, too, you're interacting with the actual person that you are going to be shown with on screen. Mm-hmm. Whereas anime, you never ever record in the same room Mm -hmm. or anything. You all record all of your lines all the way through Mm -hmm. at one time, and then somebody else comes in and does theirs. Yeah. So ultimately, I I don't know how this sounds in the uh, original Japanese. Uh, We didn't have a chance to go listen to both. So like you were saying before about the voice acting kind of being of its time, you know, in the mid-90s, the animation is also similar in that way. It stylistically has a lot of the same look that was going on at that time, especially when it comes to, like, the hair and the eyes, especially. The eyes are really, really detailed, and the hair is very, very big. Yeah, I think I've talked before about how this is my least favorite era for character designs. This has that kind of typical huge spiky hair anime protagonist look, which it's funny to think about that Evangelion would have come out like basically the same time because those were very forward thinking sorts of character designs, uh, a little bit more rounded, more realistic, whereas this character just, I, I don't know, I always, do they look like Yu-Gi-Oh? Then they're probably from this era. <laughs> Yeah, his hair is always, like, it's two-thirds the size of his head. Like, if you take the entirety of his head, his hair is two-thirds of that height. Yeah, and I would have loved if there was a little bit more of a character distinction between the dorky Junta and the playboy Junta. Uh, Because he does change appearance a little bit, but it's mostly superficial kind of stuff. And I guess that's so that the characters that he's interacting with don't have some sort of crazy reaction, like, why do you look so different? Mm -hmm. It's more of a subtle, oh, I find you attractive all of a sudden. I don't know why. They even kind of put these, like, different hues over his Playboy persona. 
Um, so it, it's sort of like the idea of wearing rose-colored glasses. Everything's kind of softer, and he has these kind of like sparkles around him, and everything is just kind of dreamy looking when when he transforms. Otherwise, his look is just like a little bit older. Like instead of looking like a younger teen, he looks maybe like an older teen. So his eyes are like a little bit smaller and yeah, his shoulders get like broader. Um, He looks like he's standing up straight. I thought he was taller at first, but I realize regular Junta just slouches a lot. So it's, it's still very clearly the same person, but it's, it's these little subtle differences that kind of all together make up the, the mega playboy version of himself. In terms of the animation style and quality itself, um, this show was done by Madhouse, which I always like looking at their history because it's pretty crazy the different directions they've gone over the years. Uh, but this studio has a ton of history to them. Some of their bigger stuff, you would know Memora Hosoda, like Wolf Children and Summer Wars. They did some of the Satoshi Kone films like Perfect Blue and Paprika. Uh, they did Trigun. They did Death Note. They did the first season of One Punch Man. Uh, and so this studio is just known for really good animation. And it's nice to see that even <laughs> even Madhouse in the 90s was doing stuff like this. Mm-hmm. Where obviously there's a lot of a lot of work going into it, but it still has such a distinct '90s like low budget look to it, which is is kind of kind of enjoyable. But also, my general feelings towards it are not always positive. <laughs> he does have a bit of a Vash look to him. Mm-hmm. Probably the best designed character of the show is Karen. She's really out of place because she is dressed very futuristically. Um, but she doesn't look like a government worker. She is wearing, I keep thinking of like Piccolo's outfit from Dragon Ball Z. Um, she has these like shoulder pads. She wears this cape. She's in this like uh, space suit. She looks amazing. If you just looked at this, you would think that she was really sent to kill the Mega Playboy. Like she looks like a warrior. And I love her design for that. And I think that's why I'm so frustrated that she wasn't really utilized. And maybe that's part of the joke is that she's really just this mediocre person, but she looks incredibly rad for the 90s. And I I just love her aesthetics so much. Yeah, and I had mentioned how she is so prominent in all the feature artwork for this show including the title cards when they go to a break, a commercial break or something, those title cards are all her. And she will like roll on screen and then do this leg twirl into a pose where she's like pointing a gun at the camera. And uh, she's got all these slick moves. And then her job is to babysit Junta and try to hook him up with his friend. Mm Mm-hmm. I feel like she just doesn't belong in the show, and I need <laughs> I need a different show about her being a badass. Yeah, I, I do feel like that is probably the point and the joke they're trying to make, but that also forces the show to rely a whole lot on Junta mm-hmm. being an interesting character, 
and we'll probably talk about that in our general discussion, but <laughs> he's not. <laughs> I think the music in this show does something that I don't see in a lot of comedies, which is it's actually surprisingly subtle. Um, a lot of times in comedies, I see the music being used as like part of the punchline. It'll have some like ridiculous sound or something that goes along with whatever's happening on screen. Um, but even in like the intro and the outro, the music is kind of more serious. And I think that's part of what the show is going for is it's not trying to be this over the top, like, hey, I'm a comedy, you know, kind of show. And I think the music plays a lot into that, that it's not this sort of like bouncy kind of carnival sort of thing you hear a lot in comedies, especially in like the intros and outros. Um, it just is kind of playing the same kind of music you would hear in probably any 90s anime, which means it doesn't really stand out compared to other animes of the time. But I think it does stand out as a comedy because it's not doing, you know, the the cheesy over the top, draw your attention to the fact that it's a comedy. Yeah, I think I would agree with you on the intro and outro. Uh, preparing for this episode, I did go back to episode one and skipped around a bit to try to listen to some of the music. And I actually kind of disagree because I found quite a bit of like dopey <laughs> 90s music mm. uh, that does sort of form that comedy like, oh, oh funny stuff's going on. <laughs> um, but I also wonder if that judgment is sort of clouded because it was just the style of the 90s mm -hmm. where these kinds of shows, especially kid shows, were using a whole lot of MIDI instruments. And so you've got like weird MIDI drum kits and fake horn sounds and strings and stuff. And so there are definitely times where that stuff sounds pretty cheesy. It was kind of making me think of half of the music from the Pokemon anime. And by that, I mean, <laughs> there are two kind of distinct camps in the Pokemon anime uh, original series, which is things that were lifted straight from the games, mm -hmm. which are obviously really great themes. They're very interesting melodies. And so they just kind of turned those into more symphonic sorts of music pieces and then you've got the stuff that they made for the comedy scenes which is very much that kind of dopey midi sound mm -hmm. before we wrap up the show i wanted to hear what your general thoughts were for for dna squared we've already talked quite a bit about how some of the logic of the show just doesn't really add up and one thing that I was thinking about that kind of clouded my entire judgment of this show, and maybe I'm thinking about it too much, and I am just supposed to let let go of all of this kind of logical thinking, but what they have done with the character Karen is that because she's not this cool future person who's going to carry out her mission to stop the Mega Playboy and accidentally actually started the whole process... If she's going to take this side role of getting Junta and Ami together, then the entire premise of the show relies on the fact that his DNA is not going to con continue on to future generations. And if he marries 
anyone and has any kids, then it kind of doesn't matter because if Junta doesn't have a hundred kids and all of those aren't mega playboys, maybe he has one kid and that kid is a mega playboy. So no matter what she does at this point, unless she kills him, then if he has any kids whatsoever, whether it's with Ami or with a hundred different women, there are still going to be more mega playboys born and it's just going to keep happening or she's going to have to follow all of those kids through all of their lives, <laughs> which is also impossible. And so, yeah, with, with the, the numbers not working out for the show and with that kind of core problem that no matter what, you're going to end up with the same future problem, I just kind of felt it was hard to look past some of these inconsistencies and uh, poor planning on the part of the storytelling. I actually didn't struggle that much to look past the numbers thing, mostly because I decided really early on to just let all of that go. And I think that's because I could tell that's what the show wanted me to do. Um, so I actually thought that the show had a decent balance of comedy versus, you know, trying to do a show. Um, I think sometimes with comedies, it's just sort of like one punchline after the other. And it's just sort of like, what's the most ridiculous thing we can do? Now what's the most ridiculous thing we can do? And and so on and so forth. And I think the show tried to take more breaks in between. And I really appreciated that. Like, I really like the intro and the outro because the fact that the show's a comedy is just kind of sprinkled into the intro. Um, so you'll see these really, like, kind of serious poses from the different characters. And then you'll see, like, a, a little clip of Junta, like, throwing up or something. Um, and that's actually a pretty decent marker for the show is that it does have this balance between like stuff that's actually happening mostly with other characters outside of Junta and then these comedic bits. And for a show that's really about a lot of sexual humor, I appreciate that they didn't always go for the lowest hanging fruit, you know, that some of their jokes are actually like decent and not super gross. Maybe it's because I've gotten conditioned to watching really bad anime and seeing how different shows handle something like sex. And this one wasn't the grossest thing I had seen. And so I, I had some appreciation for that. Yeah, I, I would say it's it's more uncomfortable on kind of a global scale just because of the core premise of the show and the purpose of the main character. Uh, but the individual moments weren't as terrible as they could have been. Mm -hmm. Something I was thinking about with this show is that the character Ami might actually be the secret saving grace of this show because she's one of the few kind of normal characters uh, who consistently makes level-headed decisions and doesn't go super guy-crazy over her friend Junta. And in the fact that she is the only one who doesn't respond to his mega playboy nonsense. Mm -hmm. She literally slaps him the first time because she's like, you're not Junta. Yeah, she's like, why are you using these like cheesy lines on me? Uh, and so the fact that she's kind of independent in that sense and not completely obsessed with this character is nice. And I think if they had spent more time thinking about these characters and how to make them work in this world... 
they could have overcome some of those logic barriers. It really could have been as easy as, well, Ami doesn't want to have kids. Mm -hmm. And so if they get together, they're just not going to have any. And so problem solved. Mm -hmm. Eventually they'll both die and there is no more Mega Playboy. Mm -hmm. And that could have been a level-headed character decision they could have made for that character to overcome some of the logical barriers. Uh, but since they didn't think through those things, they're just kind of left hanging in the air and there's no problems being solved. So sure, I can I can overlook some of it as just it's a comedy and so suspend some disbelief. But I do think they spent more time kind of creating these uncomfortable scenarios than they did working through a universe in which this weird pyramid scheme is true. Yeah, I would agree with that. Well, Kayla, uh, after all of our discussions about DNA Squared, would you watch more of this show? I'm going to say no. Um, yes, the show could have been worse, and it did not make me cringe as much as other shows that we have watched. I am not interested in this premise. I, I've seen other shows that kind of play with the same sort of idea that a character has like a dual personality that gets brought out because of their genetics or whatever. Um, so I know that this can be done in a way that's more appealing for me. I think it's just I I don't care about these sex jokes all the time and just like, how can we keep Junta from having sex, you know, and that joke over and over again. I just don't particularly find it that humorous. So there's times when they'll have like an amusing joke. But overall, I don't find myself enjoying the comedy aspect of it. And since this is predominantly a comedy, it's hard to get into the show. Yeah, I, I agree. I'm also going to say probably not. <laughs> and uh, I think kind of the best thing I can say about this show is that it plays slightly better than its description. And what I mean by that is that if you were to describe this show to your friend, either to convince them to watch it or just to be able to talk about it, it sounds crazy and it sounds gross and it doesn't really sound appealing to someone like me. But when you actually watch it, it's not quite as bad as they made it sound from the beginning. I don't think that's enough to carry it though, because like you said, in the end, it's just kind of about this dorky kid who has the superpowers that turns him into a, a hunky guy. <laughs> uh, so I'm not super interested in that premise overall. Now, Liam O'Brien. <laughs> love him. Great. Uh, but I'm glad that he's moved on from stuff like this. Agreed. I know that you had to probably pay the bills in the 90s, <laughs> but you're doing much better things now. <laughs> There are better anime out there, and so I'm probably not going to waste my time on more of this one. Sure. Well, we actually finished it. Uh, if you want to learn more about our show, you can visit our website at animonday.moe. That's animonday.moe. You can send us questions and comments to podcast at animonday.moe, and you can find us on Facebook and Twitter. Our username is animondaycast, and you can find links for that on our website. Thank you so much to Crunchyroll for all of the anime that you provide and for offering some dubs on shows because that's great for this one in particular. <laughs> Thanks also to C2A for providing the intro and outro music for our show. 
You can find his music on Bandcamp and other places that you might stream music. And finally, a big thanks to Cassandra Lee Morris, who recorded that uh, little intro bit for us. And um, it's really exciting to have some professional voice actors on this show because that's not us. (laughs) Uh, We love Cassandra's work. Uh, She was quite a few characters that we have talked about before on this show. Uh, like Cubey in uh, Madoka Magica and Morgana the Cat in Persona 5. And, of course, our favorite drummer, Ritsu from uh, K-On. All the cute. Yeah. A lot of great characters. All right, Colin. Are you ready to roll? I'm ready. Random button in three, two, one. All right. The anime for this week is Kyokara Mao. <laughs> You're going to love the title of this episode. The first episode is called Flushed into an Alternate World. It's isekai time. Yeah, it is. (laughs) Oh, no. There are a lot of very pretty boys on this. Okay. (laughs) This is so confusing. There's so many random things happening. There is like some medieval stuff and then a dude playing baseball in sailboats. Yes. I'm very confused. I don't don't understand the problem. (laughs) Well, that's isekai for you. All right. Well, it had to happen someday (laughs) again. Yes. Well, I think that's going to do it for us this week. Thank you all for coming back a month later. (laughs) Yeah. Thanks uh, for being patient with us. Yeah, for sure. We look forward to seeing you next time. Okay, bye. Bye. Well, that's all I have to say about stare. <laughs> <laughs> Ugh, mouth noises.